bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, November 21st, 2017. Last week marked the most progress on tax reform legislation in 31 years. Both the House and the Senate made major strides towards the Republicans' goal of enacting tax reform this year. Given that, I want to dive right into what those legislative developments mean for affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy. If you're ready, let's get started. The House and Senate made strong headway last week on their goal of enacting tax reform by the end of 2017. We'll start with the lower chamber. The full House passed its version of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act last Thursday. That was a week ahead of a self-imposed deadline of Thanksgiving. The House vote was 227 to 205, with 13 Republicans joining every House Democrat in voting no. Passage of the House bill marked the biggest legislative milestone for Republicans this year. As you know, repeated efforts to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act have failed. Thus, enacting tax reform before the end of the calendar year has become the number one priority for the GOP. They're desperate to score a win before the 2018 midterm elections. Last week's House passage of a tax bill is one big step toward that goal. But there are many steps left to go as I'll discuss in the podcast. Unfortunately, the House bill would be devastating for affordable housing, community development, and historic preservation. One of the few bright spots is the bill does retain volume capital per capita low-income housing tax credits, including the 9% and the 4% for acquisition. But the legislation would repeal private activity bonds, which finance more than half of affordable housing built each year. As we've noted before, analysis by Novogratz and Company shows that the combination of the loss of private activity bonds, a lower corporate tax rate, and a switch to a chain consumer price index would result in the loss of nearly one million affordable rental homes. Now, state agencies responsible for allocating private activity bonds have begun preparing for the possibility that the House bill's repeal of private activity bonds does become effective as of December 31, 2017. For instance, California's Debt Loan Allocation Committee is holding a board meeting today to adopt emergency regulations designed in part to facilitate, or should I say accelerate, bond allocations and issuance by December 31, 2017. Virginia's agency is preparing something similar, and Colorado has issued a new FAQ document with information about taxes and bonds that close before December 31st and after December 31st. And Idaho has issued information about a couple of its programs that rely on bonds, with information on deadlines if the tax exempt status goes away. In other words, state agencies are taking strides to allocate bond authority by the end of the year so the bonds can be issued in order to ensure that local tax rates can be available for those developments. On the community development front, the House bill would repeal the new market tax credit 
after 2017. Further, the 10% non-historic rehab tax credit and the 20% historic tax credit would also be repealed after 2017. I should note, though, there is a transition rule in the House bill that would allow for historic tax credits to be claimed with respect to any building that was owned or leased by the taxpayer at all times on or after January 1, 2018. The transition rule says that within 180 days of enactment, a qualifying taxpayer would need to begin the 24-month rehabilitation measuring period. In essence, the transition rules would allow qualified expenditures that are incurred before December 31, 2020 to be eligible for historic tax credits. But the transition language does create a lot of questions. Now, turning to renewable energy, the House legislation does retain the Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit and Production Tax Credit five-year phase-downs. But it eliminates the Production Tax Credit Inflation Adjuster and makes changes to the credit's continuous construction requirement. The bill does, though, extend orphaned renewable energy technologies at the 30% investment tax credit phase-down schedule. Now, turning to the broader picture of tax reform in the House bill, the House bill would reduce the top corporate tax rate from 35% to 20%, effective January 1, 2018. And most of the Republicans who voted against the bill did so because the legislation eliminates the state and local income tax deduction, although the bill preserves the local property tax deduction up to $10,000. I'll talk later about how the Senate bill differs on this point. The House bill also limits the mortgage interest deduction for newly purchased principal residences to the first 500000 of a mortgage. Now, on to the Senate bill. Later, last Thursday, the Senate Finance Committee advanced its version of the tax bill to the full Senate. It was, as expected, a party-line vote of 14 to 12 after four days of debate. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said floor consideration would begin after Thanksgiving. Now, using reconciliation rules, Senate Republicans will need a simple majority to pass a tax bill. But getting a, quote, simple majority isn't so simple. Senate Republicans are working with a slimmer majority than their House counterparts. The GOP only has 52 Republican seats, and it appears as though opposition to the bill among Democrats is unanimous. Under that assumption, the GOP can only afford to lose two Republican votes, at which point they bring in Vice President Mike Pence as the tiebreaker. Now, at the time of this recording, at least six Senate Republicans were opposed or had yet to declare their full support for the bill. By my count, there's Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Susan Collins of Maine, Bob Corker of Tennessee, John McCain of Arizona, Jeff Flake of Arizona, and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. If you're aware of another senator that should be on this list of six, send out a tweet with their name and include my Twitter handle, at Novogratik, in the body of the tweet. Now let's look at a recap of the current version of the Senate bill. Like the House bill, the Senate version does retain volume cap or per capita long housing tax credits, both the 9% and 4% for acquisition. Fortunately, though, in a break from the House bill, the Senate version would retain the tax exemption for private activity bonds, including multifamily rental housing bonds. The Chairman's Mark also included a number of enhancements to the long housing tax credit, those enhancements that had negligible costs. They were included from the Senate's version of the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act. As you'll recall, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch and Committee Member Maria Cantwell introduced S-548, the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act, 
to expand and enhance the housing tax credit. Some of the provisions from the bill, from that bill, that were included in the Senate Finance Committee approved tax bill include allowing for a reasonable restoration period after a casualty loss, replacing the existing nonprofit rider first refusal with a purchase option to help nonprofit sponsors keep properties affordable over the longer term, and prohibiting local approval and contribution requirements. The bill would also rename the Low Income Housing Tax Credit the Affordable Housing Tax Credit. Now, I should note the Senate Tax Reform Bill does not include provisions to increase low income housing tax allocations or address the adverse effect that a reduced corporate tax rate has on low income housing tax credit unit production. On the community development side, the Senate bill proposes retaining the new market tax credit through its current authorization of the 2018 and 2019 rounds. And the Senate bill would also retain the 20% store tax credit, but it would require it to be claimed over five years instead of at placement and service as under current law. Regarding renewable energy tax credits, the Senate version is silent on the matter and does not include extensions of orphan technologies for the investment tax credit. Now, I do want to address a question one of my Twitter followers asked me about the depreciable lives of structures. He asked if I thought a tweet by Scott Greenberg of the Tax Foundation was accurate. Greenberg had tweeted that, and I quote, the best part of the Senate tax bill is the provision that lowers the depreciable lives of structures from 39 slash 27.5 years to 25 years. I replied, it was accurate, but to claim the shorter life, real estate businesses would need to agree to a limit on interest expense deductions. If you don't agree to that limit, then real estate would have a 30-year life under the Senate bill, real estate structures, of course. Now, I also want to discuss briefly the idea of a separate tax extenders package. Yes, tax extenders after tax reform. During a Senate Finance Committee hearing on Thursday, Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland proposed amendments to make permanent and to improve the new market tax credit, as well as to include the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act bill, as well as provisions to improve the store tax credit in the tax reform legislation that the Senate Finance Committee was considering. While Cardin's amendments did not pass, they received widespread support from Republicans, including Senator Hatch, who said he would help with legislation addressing those issues during tax extenders. Indeed, Republican Senator Rob Portman expressed his hope that the new market's tax credit could be made permanent in tax extenders legislation. Speaking of extenders, Republican Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa told reporters that the Senate would address a group of expired energy tax credits in a package separate from tax reform. The so-called orphan technology, renewable energy investment tax credits for small wind, fuel cells, microturbines, and other technologies did expire last year. Now, another tax issue has also arose in tax credit communities. An issue in the Senate bill would indirectly have a very negative impact on tax credit investors. Under the Senate bill, there is a 10% base erosion tax. This tax is intended to prevent corporations from engaging in tax strategies that artificially lower their U.S. income tax obligations. Unfortunately, their treatment of tax credits could result in many companies losing their ability to use existing tax credits. This could result in a reduced demand for tax credit investments in the future, as well as a large influx of secondary market transactions as existing investors work to spin off their tax credit investments. 
Now, the good news is that the House bill doesn't have the same effect, and work is being done within the Senate that will hopefully lead to a correction before the Senate approves a final bill. So before closing, let's talk about the next steps. As I said, Mitch McConnell says the Senate tax bill will be considered on the floor after this week's Thanksgiving break. When the Senate reconvenes on Monday, the Senate is scheduled to be in session for only three full weeks before it adjourns for its end-of-year recess on December 15th. Although, Senator McConnell has already warned senators that he believes the Senate will be in session the week of December 18th. In that time period, Senate Republicans will try to have the full Senate approve a tax bill. After that, House and Senate leaders would have to reconcile their tax bills into one tax proposal that they can deliver to the President for a signature. Now, there's sort of two paths to go down. Either the Senate ultimately passes a bill with certain changes that the House can pass by itself, or they have to go to some type of conference, and then the House and the Senate both have to pass a second time a tax bill, the conference tax bill. Now, what are some of the sticking points? Well, the Senate proposal would eliminate all state and local tax deductions, whereas the House compromised and allowed up to 10000 in state and local property taxes to be deducted. Another challenge is the Senate bill eliminates the Affordable Care Act individual mandate. The only thing that we know for sure is that the House and Senate bills will evolve over the coming weeks. We at Novograd & Company are keeping a close watch on any news or developments on the tax credit front. As I've announced in previous podcasts, we recently launched a Tax Reform Resource Center on our website. We post tax reform bills, supporting documents, advocacy letters, reports, research, and other matters there. It's a great place to keep track of every iteration of tax legislation that is released. To find it, simply go to www.taxreformresourcecenter.com. In addition to collecting the important tax reform documents, we also offer analysis on what those proposals mean for you, your work, your participation in the tax credit community. My notes from the Novogratz blog has several recent posts by my partners and me on tax reform. I wrote a blog post with my partner, Dirk Wallace, on what the House and Senate bills could mean for affordable housing. My partner, Tom Bosha, in our Cleveland office, wrote a blog post on the implications of tax reform on the historic tax credit. And my partner, Brad Elphick, from our Atlanta office, wrote a blog post about what the House and Senate bills could mean for the new markets tax credit. And we'll have more insight in future blog posts. Be sure to subscribe to our blog, and you'll be automatically notified whenever we have new content. Go to www.novico.com to find our subscription center. In the meantime, please continue to send me your tax reform questions and insights to cpas at novico.com. Put podcast tax reform in the subject line. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. We'll continue to monitor the latest tax reform news, and we'll keep you updated in future podcasts, and I'll be sending a lot of tweets in between. Have a happy Thanksgiving holiday, and I'll be back next week. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.